Walmart's entry into the beef business raised a few eyebrows, and some in the livestock industry have expressed concern that this vertically integrated marketing system by the largest grocery outlet in the country could one day potentially control prices all the way down to the rancher. We address this topic and more in part two of the Walmart beef supply chain on this episode of the Working Ranch Podcast. and welcome to the Working Ranch Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and thank you for joining us on this episode today as coming your way in just a moment is part two of my conversation with Lamar Steiger. He's a rancher, but a consultant to Walmart on their Walmart beef supply chain. And as you heard in the intro, we will be addressing the topic of vertical integration in our interview today. Also on this episode, you'll hear from the captain, Tim O'Byrne. That'll happen in just a bit here on Tim's Two Cents. And then later in our episode, you'll hear from meteorologist Don Day, As we talk on the weather about the dryness pattern and when will it break? We know we're in a La Nina pattern, but when will that break? And then also what parts of the country are actually going to see moisture this summer? So make sure you listen through the entire program today. Great stuff coming your way. Before we get too far, I do want to throw out my contact information in case you would like to drop me a note about this program, previous programs, or an idea for something coming forward. My email is justin.workingranch at gmail.com, or you can give me a call or text at 307-363-COWS. That's 307-363-COWS. Well, the Working Ranch podcast is part of the collaborative efforts of Working Ranch Magazine, the source that the ranching industry turns to for information and stories that are very relevant to our industry. And right now, you can turn in there to find sale information for all of the industry's leaders as we find ourselves smack dab in bull buying season. Now, the next issue is out, and if you don't have it yet, you will be getting it. So uh, if you're not a regular subscriber, it's pretty easy. Just go to workingranchmag.com, and you can get your subscription started today. Now, I've not gotten entirely through mine just yet, but I'll tell you, one article that instantly caught my eye was about the McCann family of the Lazy YK Ranch in Wyoming and how they built a beef food chain. A great article there by Melissa Hempkin, but part of the reason that it caught my eye, because I'll tell you, it ties perfectly into our podcast topics from last week as well as the one here today. So be looking for your March issue of Working Ranch Magazine. Before we get too far down the road, I do want to say a thank you to our sponsors that makes this possible. Very thankful for these folks, the American Simmental Association and the IGS Feeder Profit Calculator, the American Hereford Association, and the North American Limousine Foundation. By the way, just a couple things on my calendar is the Society for Range Management is going to be having their virtual meeting. That's next week, the 15th through the 17th of February. So be sure to get registered for that so you have your spot reserved. Then later this month, February 23rd and the 24th, NCBA will be hosting their virtual conference as well, calling it the 2021 Winter Reboot. I'm registered for that. Both of these are virtual conferences, so you will do it from your computer, your tablet, your phone, but will offer all of the same features as if you were right there from education to informational sessions, as well as a virtual trade show. So be sure to get registered for both of these uh, events that are taking place in the virtual world. Right now, we're going to check in with the captain, Tim O'Byrne, publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine. See what's on his mind for Tim's Two Cents. 
Hey Justin, I asked Jacqueline Kramowski, she's with the Herd Book Ag Media, to give us a few predictions for 2021. And she came up with this. All right, a growing alternative meats market. An estimated 56% of produce consumers intend to purchase even more plant-based foods and beverages, according to ADM. This isn't hard to believe, considering the plant-based protein market global outlook and forecast 2020 to 2025 estimates a compound annual growth rate of this industry by 8%. Not to mention funding for new plant proteins is backed by names like Bill Gates, Leonardo DiCaprio, and even notable packers including Tyson and Cargill. Now, Justin, remember last episode I mentioned that uh, Bill Gates was among the top five landowners in the United States. With I think he had 242,000 acres of farmland. Um, maybe that's the reason why. Number two, calls to action. All right. Um, politics aside, 2020 was the year the American people wanted to, wanted action and disruption of social norms. No longer are you expected to have an opinion and keep it at that. People, many of them consumers, are demanding action to improve whatever issues you claim to care about. So expect to be asked what you, your company, and your industry are doing to protect the environment, improve animal welfare, human rights, and more. And I think we've got a great story to tell there. I'm very proud of that. Number three, more direct-to-consumer and unconventional beef markets. With the abrupt disruption of the meat supply chain due to COVID, many consumers were left wary about food security. Coupled with a push to patronize small businesses, consumers were inclined to explore local meat shops and producers. While closed restaurants dented the boxed beef market, it revived at the home meal kit level. Many such companies capitalized on certain niches, keeping the know and support your local farmer rancher ideology alive and well. Number four. Volatile beef consumption. The pandemic was a wild card for global and domestic beef consumption. With many folks out of work, beef was the first protein they shot away from in favor of pork and chicken. However, more cooking at home also meant a lot of people were in search of fast and easy meals, sparking a growth in easy prep cuts like ribeyes and chucks. Consumer reports were all over the chart reflecting these and other factors. This year's trends will depend heavily on how the still pandemic-stricken and politically divided economy continues to fluctuate. And finally, number five, workers' rights activism. Human rights are front and center on the national stage. Jobs protected and kept by their essential workers became both a blessing and a curse. Last year highlighted the importance of the blue-collar workforce, yet was a point of contention regarding the protection and fair treatment of workers. Treatment of workers in the American packing sector, many of them immigrants, was brought to public attention by the likes of the Washington Post, Human Rights Watch, The Guardian, and NPR, to name a couple. Uh, Put that together with heated ongoing immigration politics, it's fair to say we can expect increased activism and awareness moving forward. Thank you, Jacqueline Kramowski. You can find her at uh, theherdbook.com. And folks... Send Justin an email, give him a shout, or maybe a handwritten letter off the kitchen table to let him know your thoughts about predictions for 2021. This is Tim's Two Cents. Have a great week, folks. 
Well, thanks, Captain. And yes, please call, text, write, or even Pony Express comes right here to my world on your predictions for 2021. My email is justin.workingranch at gmail.com or my phone, 307-363-COWS. That's 307-363-COWS. Well, stay with us. Coming up right after this break, we'll head into part two of our conversation with Lamar Steiger on Walmart's beef supply chain. It's an uncertain world out there, but here's a simple reminder from the crew from the IGS Feeder Profit Calculator and the American Semental Association. Moving forward together. IGS. We collaborate. You profit. Look fear in the face and press on. Simi strong. Life is tough, but so are we. Sim genetics. Profit through science. Count your blessings. Another sunrise, a new start. Stand together. Stand strong. Sound familiar, right? It should. Part of the commercials that you've been hearing for the past year from the IGS Feeder Profit Calculator. We've talked a lot about it, but have you tried it? So let's just talk plainly, candidly. No music, no ha-ha, funny sound bites. Just rancher to rancher. The Feeder Profit Calculator is free. There's no hidden costs. Now, they can't promise that because you use the IGS Feeder Profit Calculator this upcoming marketing season that your calves are going to blow the doors off the sale barn. They can't promise that. But, but here's what they can say, that if you get an extra dollar for those calves, does it make a difference? Well, 100 calves at 500 pounds and a dollar more this fall gives you an extra $500 to the paycheck. And it didn't cost you anything but a few hours worth of work. So you know what happens when you do nothing? Nothing. The IGS Feeder Profit Calculator. It's free. It's fast. Period. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Mills. Now, in case you missed the previous episode to this one, first, I'd invite you to at some point go and take a listen to it. I think it'll give you more context in regards to my conversation with Lamar Steiger, who is a rancher but also a consultant to Walmart as they head into their endeavor of having a beef supply business for themselves. But while I'm going to offer a bit of a recap to get us started for today, I think if you were to listen to last week's, it'll help provide you with a clear picture of just why Walmart entered into the beef business, as well as explaining what all it entails. However, to give you kind of a brief synopsis of it, basically the beef supply is controlled in the country by the big four, those being Tyson Foods, JBS, Cargill, and National Beef. Now, while Walmart maintains good relationships with their current supplier, they also have their customers telling them that they want a good and consistent product in the meat case. So, Walmart partnered with 44 Farms to provide a consistent product that can be processed and packaged specifically for Walmart. It's labeled as a certified Angus beef and NHTC product and is being tested right now in 500 stores in the southeast part of the country. So as we now head into part two of my conversation with Lamar Steiger, and if you'd like to know his credentials and why he got involved, then I would encourage you to listen to the previous episode. But we ended part one. We had talked quite extensively about Walmart's push for consistency in beef product was being driven by what their customers are were wanting. Because let's be frank about it. Really, Walmart is not going to do something unless they can sell it. And if they do it, they're going to do it right. 
However, I think we can also be honest and say that as a whole, the production cattle industry has quite a bit of individuality and independence. So there's sometimes some pushback in that I've heard ranchers say this, that they're going to try to make us like the chicken and the pork industry. So our first question today that Lamar Steiger will address is, how do we meet in the middle between the independent beef producer and what the beef consumer is wanting? It's interesting because here you have the largest grocer in, basically in the world in the in the in the united states anyway you know that's 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 looking for a lot of meat consistent and yet we have a very very diverse cow herd um you know that's a big program but it's not so big that it's not doable there are there are a lot of cattle out there that would fit this kind of a program and uh and if somebody was interested in in kind of investigating what this looked like uh, it's easy to find 44 farms online and to call them and talk to them about getting involved. Uh, but my vision for the future and what what as I've been uh, working with some other uh, grocery chains, talking to some some grocers, talking to a client or two who are feeders, and uh, is that no matter whether it's a huge group of cattle uh, like let's say Angus, or whether it's a very niche uh, breed with a niche uh, notoriety. Find your supply chain that fits your size of of consistent product, and I and and you know I fully get it, and I and I understand it's a lot different to grow cattle down here in the Ozarks uh, than it was for my dad up in the the Black Hills, and so so if you're going to have a, uh, I think the Ozarks are are prime ground for having a grass a grass fed program and. And there's some people right here close to me that are doing some very, very interesting things on a farm to table level with not that very many cattle, but enough that they can serve, even if it's just a, a small group of restaurants in our area, uh, all the way to to finding your way into a small grocery chain. And, um, you know, it's it's uh, going into the, the your local grocer and talking to your butcher and and saying, you know, what are you looking for? What do you want? Well, how are you going to distinguish yourself from every other grocery store in America? And uh, and frankly, I think you know that's what Walmart's trying to do on on scale is they want to, they want to be known for having uh, an Angus sired uh, black trade program that customers are happy with every time they take that steak home. Uh, and and it's it's a challenge, but if we uh, we don't all want to be clones of the same animal we don't want all the same but but all the different categories of our business wherever it goes to retail or wherever it goes to restaurants uh i think even small restaurants want to have a story small restaurant chains maybe they want to have a story to tell their uh their customer that this is a, a local you know within 200 miles farm to table and uh and the the the, the i know with covid that we kind of got a big hiccup in local kill kill plant facility and, and capacity and all that. Uh, I'm just hearing stories all over the United States of people either gonna, going to build a facility or, or have already built one. One just opened up north of Springfield, Missouri. That's regional for us. They're going to do one day a week, I think is what I've heard, one day a week for just custom kill. And if you could connect your supply chain with, with a restaurant in your area, if you're wanting to be that, individualistic or if you want to be a part of something bigger you know some sort of program like this and uh, because customer is going to drive it not because you know marketing of hey we can have this video auction and we can put these attributes on there and, and we get paid a few more cents a pound for this 
attribute or that attribute. And that's, that's awesome. And that's, that, those are some neat things happening, but when that does not happen without the customer, it's, it's not going to succeed. But when the customer is demanding those attributes, then grocers are going to be backing up through the chain and looking for those cattle that have certain kind of attributes. Lamar, looking ahead, and what is the future of this program for Walmart? If it expands and it now is in all of their 4,500 grocery stores, will we see more regional facilities as part of their beef supply chain? Yeah, I would say to be determined. Uh, everything, uh, you, I think you can count on this program growing. I mean, Walmart, they, they, know, they, know, they know how to grow sales. And uh, it's been really great for the beef industry. COVID has actually been really great for grocers uh, because customers are eating at home more. And uh, the amount of meat that we had planned, the Walmart team had planned for 500 stores, they reached, they reached that long before they ever got to 500 stores. And so I think this particular program will, will grow. I, I certainly hope it grows. I think we're all counting on, on people wanting to come into the stores and asking, hey, why can't, where's, my, where's my NHTC beef from Walmart? And so uh, that will grow. I think the, the, uh, uh, the, the executive team at Walmart, I can't speak for them at all. Uh, but I do know that they're watching very closely on how their other suppliers respond. And they're also, they want the, the, they're, they want to be known as the place to go for meat. And that doesn't happen, uh, Justin, you know, like that doesn't happen overnight. You don't build trust and you don't build um, a, a, a customer base that goes out and talks about your business uh, overnight like that in fresh meat or fresh vegetables or fresh whatever, but it is all those fresh uh, products are an area that, that Walmart is improving on every day. Uh, whether there's another regional program with another regional plant, you know, uh, I can't speak for Walmart as a consultant, what, where they're at on that or what, what, what they're going to do, but I'm, I'm definitely like uh, excited about mm-hmm. those opportunities. Well, stay with us because when we come back, we're going to be addressing kind of the white elephant topic in the room, which I prefaced at the top of the episode today, which is a vertically integrated market that is going to be controlled by an extremely large retailer. And is there validity in ranchers' concern as to its potential control on the marketplace? We'll talk about it after this. Kaching. More pounds, more calves, more profit. Studies show Hereford Genetics increased net profit by $51 per cow per year. That's $20,000 in additional revenue for a typical 400-cow outfit. And calves sired by Hereford bulls continue to add value through the chain. A documented $30 per head in feedlot profitability. That's real money and real results. Get more ka Come home to Hereford at Hereford.org. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Podcast. I'm Justin Mills. We continue our conversation with Lamar Steiger, a rancher consultant to Walmart. He was instrumental in assisting Walmart set up their beef supply chain from the rancher to the feedlot to the processing facility and then to the consumer. So to start this segment, I want to give you basically a definition here. Investopedia.com gives a definition of vertical integration as this. It's a strategy whereby a company owns or controls its suppliers, distributors, or retail locations to control its value or supply chain. Vertical integration benefits companies by allowing them to control process, reduce costs, and improve efficiencies. However, vertical integration has disadvantages, including the significant amounts of capital investment required. So the question I posed now to Lamar was, 
how do you address this concern by ranchers that are already fighting the control in our market by the big four packers to potentially, could we be up against the big one? Yeah, that is a great question, Justin. I'm glad you brought that up. And having been in Northwest Arkansas, where the home of Tyson, uh, which of course vertically integrated the, the chicken business along with with uh, a lot of other companies way back, goes all the way back to the 1960s and 70s with, uh, with the cooperator chicken house growers who own their own house, uh, chicken houses, and then Tyson put the birds in. And so this is a topic that I know a lot about. It's had a huge, huge effect on my neighbors uh, all over the Ozarks and, 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 and it really anybody who lives near uh, one of the poultry centers. And so the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, is the control factor. And so as we got, we got into this and uh, I know ranchers and I'm one of them and we're all very independent and, and uh, consistently this question came up in our meetings in our very first, uh, very first whiteboard sessions. And it came up because I brought it up and because it was something that that's uh, in my mind and something I can't, couldn't get my arms around as far as how that might look in the beef business. But by the time we put this together and we probably got halfway through the process, I am very assured in my mind that vertical integration is not an issue for the beef business. And one great big reason is, is, uh, is the size of the business. And let me go a little deeper into that. The size of the business in dollars, uh, you know, that these steers that are getting heifers getting ready to go to slaughter are worth a considerable amount of money as compared to, as you can imagine, uh, a broiler, a chicken. Uh, the size in the uh, in the uh, resources, uh, let's just say the uh, e- even if you had some sort of a cow calf deal in a feedlot situation, which is probably not realistic in scale. Uh, but even if you did that, the the resources to run cattle cattle is uh, is vast as compared to building a half a dozen chicken houses on 40 acres in uh, northeast Oklahoma and 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 so then the the size also of the the beef cow herd uh, requires acreage mm-hmm. and uh, and when you really dig into just how big this herd is in the United States and just how many acres it takes and you start doing the math on even uh, even controlling that, let's say through some sort of uh, cooperator program uh, of any, any, any size that becomes an issue for ranchers. uh, It's just, in my view, it's just not, it's just not going to happen. And it's something that uh, I'm glad that ranchers are thinking about uh, because we are independent. But on the other hand, I, I would suggest that ranchers then take a look at that and say, Hey, we're independent. Uh, we are not going to be integrated in such a way that I know exactly what uh, the customers at the grocery store uh, for you in Rapid City or in, in Sundance or in Denver or wherever somebody is buying meat, what that what that customer specifically is looking for that week, that month, uh, what the trends are. And so not being integra- vertically integrated has a downsides too, is that that you as the producer, me as the producer, are a long way away from knowing exactly what uh, what the uh, what the consumers are wanting. And think of the advantage that the poultry industry and even pork over the over the over the decades has had in that when consumers speak, uh, they can send that market signal right up their own 
integrated uh, supply chain and they can make adjustments in that supply chain. And uh, if consumers are down, uh, not buying as much, they can back off production. If consumers are buying uh, X uh, attribute in a chicken or a turkey, then they can make more of those and they can do it very quickly. And so I understand the challenge uh, and the fear, uh, the size of our business in every aspect uh, has driven me to the opinion that uh, even Walmart, Fortune One, uh, when 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 your business ma- uh, team comes in and lays out the business plan, and you start looking at all those numbers, then uh, and, and and they're all kind of shocked uh, in the team meetings with the beef team and the the finance team. I'm pretty confident that that's not going to be an issue. Uh, for for our industry. So my final question to Lamar was this. Now, if you were sitting across the table from someone like me, a rancher, and you had to explain what do you think is the biggest benefit of Walmart stepping into the beef supply business for the ranching industry? When you have a 4,500 store chain focusing this much time and energy on meat, and whether you like Walmart uh, or not, like that has to be a good thing. It's like the more customers that we can get to come in and buy uh, red meat, the better it is for all of us. And so uh, we're in uh, we're in competition with a lot of uh, a lot of other products for protein products. And so we have to be more connected as ranchers to our customers. I love to stand at the meat counter up in the little town three miles down the road from me. Uh, Now, since COVID, I don't do this very much, but I would stand there at the meat counter and just watch people. and, And then it's amazing how few of people know the difference in a strip, uh, a tenderloin and a ribeye. Like those are our customers and they, they mm-hmm. don't know a ribeye from a strip. And so, and that's not the grocer's fault. That's our fault. We need to be engaging. We need to be engaging with the customer and Walmart is fully engaged with the customer. They're bringing in a lot of ranchers. I think there's over at this point, uh, there's probably 850 ranchers who have sold into the prime pursuits program in the last year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and those ranchers I think are excited about being part of something big and something that they can kind of trace all the way through to the grocery store. Some very good advice to end there in the fact that we in the beef raising business, you know, we really do need to be aware of what the customer is wanting and listening to them be focused on them rather than more of what we like to see, or just maybe what we think they like to see. And as I come away from this interview, just a few things on my mind. First, it was good to just hear from someone with firsthand knowledge, not hearsay, not secondhand, thirdhand, but someone that was right there and helped in the process when Walmart headed into having their own beef supply chain. Also, it was good to hear Lamar's thoughts about whether Walmart could control the beef industry with their vertically integrated system. Overall, though, I think the fact that we in the beef business can always do better about understanding our customers, which is the consumer in the grocery stores and in the restaurants. And believe me, I am saying this as much to myself as anyone listening. We can't always bellyache about the markets if we just continue to turn out a product with the mindset of no future consumer in mind. So thank you to Lamar Steiger for offering his insight onto this topic of the Walmart beef supply chain. Well, coming up next, meteorologist Don Day will join us as we look at when the La Nina pattern will break this summer and the effects across the country for this spring and summer's weather. Back after this.
If you could do something today that would bring you profit tomorrow, would you do it? In the cattle business, it's about efficiency. And with Limousine Genetics in your herd, your profit is just one calf crop away. With Limousine or Limflex cattle, it's more pounds naturally to sell at weaning. It's growth and feed efficiency with the added benefit of carcass merit. The other side of the profit coin with Limousine Genetics is the maternal efficiency, docility, and longevity of your cows and bulls. It's as simple as Limousine Today, Profit Tomorrow. Justin Mills here on the Working Ranch Podcast, and meteorologist Don Day is joining us back for this episode. And Don, typically we don't talk too much about current weather, but how will this bitterly cold weather here in the near term affect some of our long-range weather? Well, for, for the near term, this is without a doubt the coldest air of the season, especially for the northern plains, the northern Rockies, and part of the central plains. And eventually this Arctic air will overspread the Great Lakes and the New England. And it's the coldest air mass of the year. And where it's going to impact this longer term is there's going to be a fair amount of snow being put down in some of the northern areas. And with the pattern that we're seeing evolving for the rest of February, February is going to end up being the coldest winter month. Uh, you know, December and January for most of the nation was above average temperatures, which is typical for La Nina. But February is going to stick out as like, well, winter's not done yet. Uh, we'll probably have more winter in the next three or four weeks than we've had all season. Uh, so this Arctic air mass, this trend that of colder weather is going to have some staying power through the month. In a podcast that you'd released earlier this week, you looked back to the 2011 La Nina and using history as you've always have to predict kind of where we're going to look at it forward. And you say 2011 looks an awful lot like uh, 2021 in terms of the La Nina down in the tropics. And so as we look further out and into the dryness that we're going to see into spring and summer, um, where are we going to see the dryness of that? When will it break and what areas are, are, are going to be most affected by it? Well, we'll be keeping a really close eye on those sea surface temperatures near the equator in the, in the Pacific as we get into the spring season. Right now, the prediction is, at least the computer modeling for the sea surface conditions, is that La Nina is going to persist probably through at least April, May, and maybe June. If it does, that continues to, to give us a signal that the trend will likely be drier than normal for most of the western and central United States. Uh, from California through the Great Basin, through the central and southern Rockies, uh, into the central plains, and into the western Corn Belt. Uh, if we continue to see this La Nina, and again, this is something we saw in 2011 into 2012, is, is that uh, it's going to be a drier and warmer than normal spring and summer. Now, that's going to follow the same situation that we had for most of 2020. Uh, so we are definitely going to be concerned uh, if La Nina continues about dryness in many parts of the central and western United States throughout the course of the spring and early summer. Uh, so the, that is something we're going to keep a keen eye on. Um, if it does last into spring, our only hopes of, of breaking La Nina and breaking the trend is not going to be until the fall or early winter of 2021 as we get to the end of the year. What part of the country this summer is going to see the most moisture? Well, southeastern areas of the United States tend to be a little bit more wet in La Nina. It could be another active uh, tropical season in the Gulf of Mexico and the southeastern areas of the United States. Uh, there will be always islands of areas that get some moisture, but it's going to be the southeast, 
the northeast areas of the United States that aren't as impacted by La Nina that have the best chance of precipitation. Now, we could maybe include the central and eastern Corn Belt. As you get into eastern Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, uh, parts of the eastern Great Lakes, the La Nina impacts aren't as big. Where I think we're going to keep a really keen eye on things, and I think this is something in the commodities markets that could be a real big impact. If the dryness does continue in the western and northwest areas of the Corn Belt and parts of the western plains, uh, two things. Those corn and soybean prices could be impacted and hay prices as well. Because one thing that we have seen in La Nina's in the past, Justin, especially for, for the, the, the folks in the cattle industry in the southern plains, and we're talking about Texas, western Kansas, eastern Colorado, northeastern New Mexico, those areas in La Nina can get really dry. Mm-hmm. And that is something we saw in 2012. We hope it doesn't happen again, but it is something we're watching. All right. Well, thanks, Don, for joining us again today on this episode. By the way, if you would like to listen to his daily podcast, you can find it at dayweather.com. Well, that's going to put a wrap on this episode. Again, I would like to thank my guest this week, as well as the previous episode, Lamar Steiger, for joining me. And a thank you to the captain, Tim O'Byrne, for Tim's Two Cents, as well as meteorologist Don Day. Thank you to our sponsors, the American Cemental Association and the IGS Feeder Profit Calculator, the American Hereford Association, and the North American Limousine Foundation. This has been a production of the Working Ranch Magazine, and if you have questions, ideas or topics on the show would like to get a hold of me you can do it by calling or texting the studio at 307-363-COWS or shoot me an email at justin.workingranch at gmail.com thanks again for joining me i'm your host justin mills and until next time keep your chin down and your mind in the middle so long